everybody. Good to see all of you. I'm so glad that you're here. The rains have parted. The sun has come out. Uh, as much as we needed the rain, I have to admit, it was great to see the sunshine this morning, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, by the way, my name is David. I serve on the pastoral staff, if I have not met you, and I would love to do that afterwards. And um, I am uh, going to talk about the forgetful church today. There are several passages in the Bible where God repeats, um, I'm going to call them a command. It's almost an exhortation, but it's, it's a command. And um, there's, there's a couple of very common ones. Here's the first one. Uh, the first one is, next slide, be strong and courageous. In fact, I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is the most common command that God gives in the Old Testament. Be strong and courageous. In fact, there's a, uh, one segment in... Uh, Israel's history where Israel suffered a, a defeat at the hands of their enemy and the leader goes before God and is inquiring what do we do and God says in kind of a kind of a tone he goes um what's the matter with you didn't I tell you to be strong and courageous I mean, it's just this great line in there so we, we see this one threaded throughout the Old Testament the other quite common command that we see is <clears throat> this one remember we see this one quite a bit, actually. Um, and there's a couple of different places uh, where it's, it's directly stated and also indirectly implied. And I want to talk a little bit about those, but this is what we're going to spend our time talking about today, this idea of remembering. And, and the first one is, is quite easy to see. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 7. Uh, this is God speaking to Israel. He says, you may say to yourselves... These nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? Now, of course, um, he is speaking to Israel as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. And then God says, but do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. Now, what's really interesting is there's a, a phrase in here, the mighty hand and outstretched arm. Very often in uh, Egyptian hieroglyphics, when uh, they're telling the story of Pharaoh conquering someone else, it is a picture of Pharaoh with an outstretched arm. Uh, this is God throwing down with Pharaoh, okay? He's, he's, he's making a mockery of that. He goes, yeah, you know, Pharaoh's got an arm, but uh, I got the big guns, right? So keep this, keep this in mind. But there it is, directly a, a command to Israel, remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh. Okay, the other place that we see it is more indirect. And here it is in Exodus chapter 20. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. This is the preamble to the Ten Commandments. Very next line says, you will have no other gods before me. Okay? The, the idea of remembering is implied here. I am the Lord your God. Just in case you forgot, let me just tell you, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And so every time Israel would jump into the Ten Commandments, which was the entire basis of the entire Jew Jewish law, um, they would see this and they would remember this is what God did for us. Does that make sense? So it's kind of this ind indirect implied idea of remembering. 
And we find the, this, this idea of memory, and uh, sometimes it's called testimony. This um, remembering is woven th- um, throughout the Old Testament, especially here in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay? We see that uh, very often. Or sometimes we see it when uh, a prophet later on is referring to the relationship that Israel has with God. Remember, 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 remember. God has done all of these things for you. Remember. Now, to a lesser degree, we actually see it in the New Testament, too. And uh, probably the most common one is in Luke, chapter 22. (coughs) Excuse me. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, his disciples, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in, what's the word? remembrance of me. Right. We, we quote this virtually every time we do communion, which, by the way, we're going to do next week, just FYI, first of the month. We'll do it then. But this idea of rem- rem- remembering is threaded throughout the in- entire Bible. Now, the question that we, we, in my mind, begs to be asked here is why? Why is there this command to remember? Is it possible that God needs to have his ego stroked? Does God need to feel good about himself? So he wants us to remember. There, there's this, um, I guess I'll call it a theme that I'm seeing in current fantasy and science fiction literature and movies and whatnot that suggests that deities um, lose their power when they don't have worshipers. So is God afraid that he's going to lose his power because people won't remember what he did? Hardly. <laughs> You see, when we look at this Old Testament idea of remember, remember what God did in the past, he's saying, I'm going to do this in your future. It builds confidence in, in God's ability to handle our circumstances. Does, does that make sense? When we remember what God did, we can look at whatever we're facing and going, You know what? If he did that, I'm sure he can handle this one too. It builds confidence. And and when you think about what happened with the disciples, this has puzzled me for for quite some time. I would have loved to have been with the disciples the first time that they ate together after the resurrection. Okay? Because here Jesus is, he's talking about breaking of bread, which is his body, and pouring out you know, blood shed with the wine, and he's got these two elements, and he's using sacrificial languages. And, and I, I, I think the disciples probably sat there and kind of went, what is he talking about? And then after the resurrection, they're sitting down, they're having dinner, you know, Peter's passing over the bread, John takes it and goes, oh, that's what he was talking about, right? At least that's how it is in David world. I mean, I would imagine, because that's how I would respond. Oh, I had no idea. But this, this notion is every time we break the bread and, we, and, we, and we, we drink from the cup, do this in remembrance of me. Remember what? Yes, the life of Jesus, but also his death and resurrection. And what that does, that's not just confidence, that's faith, right? That builds faith because it's like if he can overcome death, what do I got that he can't handle? Do you see, you see this? So it's this notion that throughout the, the entire text, this idea of remembering, it builds our confidence and our faith. And so the bottom line here is that remembering is for our benefit, not for God's. 
We don't remember because God needs to feel good about himself. We remember because we need to be reminded of what he's capable of and how much he loves us. It's one of the reasons why we sing the songs that we sing. Are you tracking with me? This is a big deal, I think. So it's for our benefit. It's not for, for God's benefit. And human beings are, frankly, a forgetful lot, aren't we? We really are. Uh, and we'll blame it on things like stress, busyness, old age. But the fact of the matter is we're just a distracted people. Man, we're very distracted. And even pastors, uh, just to be honest, and, um, just had a conversation with a, one of our volunteer staff members the other day, and we had talked about something a couple months ago, and I completely forgot all about it, and I just felt ridiculous. But we're forgetful. We're forgetful people. <coughs> Excuse me. And so what I want to do today is I want to share a story um, that helps me remember. And I'll explain why here in a moment. I have two daughters. Elizabeth is 17 and Eliana is 7. Uh, if you've been in my hallway, you've seen this picture before. It's taken a couple years ago. Eliana is from a Hebrew word that roughly translated means God has answered my prayer. So if you ever wondered why there's a 10-year difference between my daughters, I'll let you figure that out, okay? And uh, we moved to Savannah, Georgia in 2010. I went back to grad school. I went to art school. Someday I'll tell you that story. But there's... There's another piece of that puzzle. Yes, I went back to grad school. But the fact of the matter is, is that I had exited from a ministry um, in another part of the country. And, and the reason why I exited was not for you know, things that you would hope for. Um, it was a very painful experience. I don't talk about it a whole lot because it wasn't a whole lot of fun. And uh, we got to Savannah. It's a beautiful city. I mean, it's, it's an amazing place. And I was depressed. Not in the clinical sense of depression, but St. John of the Cross talks about this idea of the dark night of the soul. I've been there. I have no desire to return. Thank you very much. Um, It was uh, at once this exciting moment in the life of my family because we were trying something new, and at the same time, um, it was a new chapter because I had no desire to go back into ministry at all. No desire. I was going to do something else entirely. And shortly after we moved to Savannah, we found out that we were going to have a baby. And um, it was an emotional roller coaster because of, you know, that 10-year difference and the reasons for it. Um, But we started to pray together, Lisa and I. And I'm going to be as transparent as I can. There were days where it was just Lisa praying because I didn't have a whole lot left inside of me. And then something happened. Eight weeks went by. And then 13 weeks went by without incident. And I remember uh, driving in my car, going to class, thinking to myself, you know what? Maybe God's got this one. Maybe God's got this one. 
Now, um, being new to uh, an area, <clears throat> we had some concerns. Um, first of all, we wanted to make sure that we had a doctor that shared our kind of natural values. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Lisa and I are kind of on the granola end of the spectrum. We're a little on the hempy side, if that makes sense to you. We're a little organic, I guess. Uh, we wanted to make sure that we had a doctor who would, uh, who would uh, value that too. Secondly, we wondered uh, what, would, what would Elizabeth do during labor and delivery? She was 10, and we were pretty sure that it was not... She, we're pretty sure she didn't want to be in the room <laughs> when all of, all of this was going down. And so we weren't really sure what, what was going to happen with her. And then uh, the other concern that we had was just this actual experience at the hospital. Because if you've lived anywhere else in the country, um, there's a different culture within uh, medical communities um, from one place to another. We had just moved from Wisconsin, and the University of Wisconsin was this major regional teaching facility, and it had a completely different culture uh, from medicine than anything we had experienced before. And here we are in, in southeast Georgia and knew nothing about it. So we had a little bit of concerns. And so our answer was we were going to hire a doula. And a doula, if you don't know what that is, it's basically a labor and delivery nurse who works for the parents inside the, uh, the delivery room. It's just another set of hands, another set of eyes and ears. And we thought this would be a good idea because we get a chance to get to know that person. And we went through a couple of weeks. We put ads out on Craigslist. We couldn't find anybody. Or we couldn't find anybody we could afford. <laughs> you know, that was the other issue. Let me tell you, student loans and student insurance doesn't go very far. And so we thought, okay, well, now we don't have a doula. And then um, one day, we get a phone call from one of the doulas that we had reached out to a couple of weeks prior to that. We had gotten her name from somebody else. I don't, I don't remember and she called Lisa and she says, oh, I'd love to be your doula. Unfortunately, I just moved my husband to St. Louis. Kind of a long drive, so not really going to happen. But she spent about two hours walking Lisa through everything she needed to know because she had been a labor and delivery nurse in the hospital that we were going to do or we were going to use. And that went a long way. She told us a couple of things. First of all, um, she said, if you want to make them scramble, labor at home as long as possible. She goes, it's funny because they, they start running around like ants, which I thought was, well, that might be fun. Uh, of course, it wasn't me, right? So, yeah. Second, she said, make sure you stick to your plan. All the things that you, you know, you know think about it up front. And she kind of walked us through that process. And so we had a good idea of what we wanted to accomplish. And then um, the third thing is she gave us the names of two nurses who shared our values. And she goes, if you go at night, you want to ask for this person. If you go during the day, you want to ask for this nurse. And we're like, okay, and we wrote that down, and it was in our plan, and we were, we were ready to go. <clears throat> so um, I remember feeling a sense of peace, and then talking about it uh, during our nightly prayer time, I just said, you know what? I said, I just get this feeling that every step of the way, oh, we've, it's not that we've gotten resistance, but we've literally felt like God's going, mm, no, it doesn't really matter. I got this. I've got this. I've got this. Okay. And uh, so we, um, um, we uh, just kind of lived life, allowed things to happen. Weeks passed without any kind of incident at all, which was great. In about three weeks to um, Eliana's due date, 
Uh, Lisa's parents visited us. Um, they're snowbirds. Uh, that means that they live most of their time in Michigan, and then about three or four months out of the year, they, they go to Florida. And so they, you know, kind of came over and they wanted to see Lisa and, and see all of us and see the hospital and see the route we were going to take and, you know, all of that. And we were kind of laughing because it's like, well, well, geez, you, you're going to Florida. It's, it's a five, six hour trip. Everything's going to be over by the time you come up. But uh, if it makes you feel better, we'll go ahead and, and take you over there. And so Lisa did and did the tour and all of that. And And so the night before they were um, to leave, we went out for dinner. We lived on an island between Savannah and the ocean, and there's a bunch of little restaurants right there. And and so we we went out at our favorite restaurant. We had a great time, and we drove back to the apartment. We pulled in the parking lot. Everybody got out of the van, and as I'm getting ready to leave, Lisa says, my water broke. Your what? (laughs) My water broke. Because sometimes for me, you have to speak louder and more slowly for me to understand you. And Lisa understood that. So so we uh, go back into the apartment and we see Lisa's parents and said, yeah, you guys might want to stick around for a little while. Oh my goodness, yay, we're excited. And then all of a sudden we realized that all of our concerns about Elizabeth were taken care of. As if God came in and went, check. And so... uh, the evening that night went just fine. Uh, labor kind of progressed, and about 10 o'clock, or about 7 o'clock the next morning, her parents walk in. Uh, and uh, so what, what, what's happening here? What's happening here? And we go, we're still laboring, and about 10 or 10.30, Lisa says, yep, it's about time to go. Okay, so we hopped in the car, started speeding towards the hospital, and she says to me, I feel like I need to push. Not in the Camry, honey. Not in the Camry, please. <laughs> floored it down the Eisenhower Expressway to get to the hospital. When we arrived, um, they did scramble, and it was a lot of fun to watch. I mean, it was like the Marx Brothers all over again. It was really cool. And so we got in there and um, um, started to fill out all the paperwork, and Lisa's like, hey, it's coming, you know, kind of a thing. Now, I'm going to tell you probably the most amazing part of this story. When we got into the hospital, the nurse who met us was one of the nurses on the list. And so we were with her for a few minutes, and she took us to the delivery room, and she actually transferred us over to another nurse who was the second nurse on our list. We never had to ask. I like to plan stuff. On my best day, I could not have orchestrated that. It was really cool. And it was like afterwards we realized, I mean, because you're in the middle of it, you know, the contractions are coming, I'm stressing out, Lisa's cool as a cucumber. And and we afterwards were like, wait wait a minute, those were the two nurses on our list. And we realized that God went, check, check. (laughs) Two, three months ahead of time, he prepared us for that by giving us those names so that we knew he was working. And it was a cool experience for us to have those kinds of things taken care of. Now, two hours later, we get Eliana Grace. The doctor was there simply to catch her. It wasn't our doctor. It was some other doctor. Literally, check, didn't have to worry about that one. And uh, 
we're, we're getting ready to move from the delivery room to the recovery room. It's about a 50-yard walk down a hallway. There are other women who are laboring, lots of nurses and doctors around. And I uh, said, okay, we're ready to go. And Lisa asked the question, is it okay if I walk? We found out later that 92% of all pregnancies or deliveries in that hospital include epidurals. So here we are, a little convoy going down 50-yard hallway. There's a little bassinet with Eliana and the nurse pushing her. There's my wife walking. I'm the pack mule with all of the stuff, <laughs> grinning like a fool because I'm watching the nurses and the doctors all do this. Mouths agape, eyes big as dinner plates. The doctor who delivered Eliana grabbed me by the arm one time and said, your wife. And I'm like, yeah, one tough bird, isn't she? <laughs> right? <laughs> now, I tell you this story for a number of reasons. And I'm sure that um, somebody could probably sit down and argue that there was a whole bunch of logical reasons why all of that happened, but you want, you'll never convince me. There were way too many coincidences. There were way too many cool things that happened. I know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, the reason for all of that was that God was showing us that he was still with us. Because as I'm walking down that hallway, God's shouting in my ear, I told you I got this. Oh, okay, it takes me a while, okay? I don't get things right away. It takes me a little bit. And there was just no convincing. And I don't tell you the story to highlight just the miracles of all of this, although that's really cool. And please understand, God's going to work his will in your life, and your life is going to look very different than mine. And, and you may or may not get a similar set of circumstances. I don't, I don't know. The importance that I'm trying to, to bring this back to is remembering. I tell that story because I remember that God was at work. And, and if I'm completely honest with you, and I try to be every time I'm up here, since that time, there's been a ton of stress. Very often in the early days of Thrive Church. And the point here is not just the fact that, that human beings forget, that we're forgetful, that we're in the process of forgetting all of the time. But when you forget, it's, it's, it's not a long jump. It's not a big leap to go from forget to doubt. You, you have to understand this, that it's easy to forget those things. And when you forget those things, it's very easy for you to jump ahead and doubt the fact, did I hear God? Did I hear him correctly? Is God even there? Does God even exist? I mean, those are the kinds of questions that human beings naturally go to. And there were many times that I have been ready to walk away. I have been um, you know, wondering if I had heard God right, if I could even hear God at all, and the frustration builds, and doubt begins to seep in. But I can't doubt. Why? Because I've got this little seven-year-old girl running around my house <laughs> who's silly and wonderful, and sometimes she misbehaves even. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes, right? But the point is, both my daughters have been very catalytic in my life. This is just one of them. And when I see them, I remember what God has done. 
I remember how God moved, and I can't explain it other than God. I just can't. And I'm a fairly intelligent dude. But I'll tell you, I can't explain that. All those coincidences, all those little boxes that got checked off, all of my biggest concerns, being in another place, all of it, all of it, I can't explain it. So today, I'm inviting you to remember what God has done. In your personal life, you know, here's the thing. Pick one thing. <clears throat> Pick one thing that God has done in your life, and you hang on to it. And remember, even if it's tiny, Jesus talked about faith of a mustard seed, right? It might be that tiny, but you hang on to that because you need to remember. There are going to be moments where you're going to have to remember even that little tiny thing that occurred. But I also want you to remember with me about the life of Thrive Church. 2017 was a great year for us. And uh, after you know, we're done with service, we're going to um, move the chairs aside. We're going to bring some tables in here, and we're going to eat together. We've got some rib crib coming, and uh, it'll be fun. And I'm going to talk about all of the cool things that happened, well, at least some of the cool things that happened in 2017 because I'm forgetful, and I may have forgotten something. So, um, But we're going to highlight that, and we're going to we're going to um, look ahead into 2018. And you know, here's the thing that I, I keep reminding myself here. Um, I want us to do this together because I don't want to be a forgetful church. I want to hear the stories of things that are going on and, and how people got to this place and why they're here. And I, I think all of those things are important for us because it shows the activity of God. And I want to hear that because there are moments in my life where I need it, and so do you.